Hi, I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And you're listening to a fairly unedited bonus episode of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. It's basically an extension of our interview with Jonathan Hickman from the Giant Size Winter Special, where we spoil the hell out of Inferno. Welcome, Jonathan. All right, let's do this. All right. Cool. So, uh, listeners, if you remember what Hawk Talk was when we did it not so long ago, it'll be like that. Uh, so the the raw, the rawest, purest form of this information. So, yeah, Inferno. Inferno ended a couple days after we posted our winter special, and wow, what what an ending for me. This was the uh, this was the issue that really, really um, justified that name and that made this climactic as all hell. So you liked it or hated it? Uh, oh yes, liked it, liked it, liked it very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Uh, I'm glad you did. It also hit a lot of really good bonus notes for me, which I think we're going to get to as we go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess this is your your basically last issue of of your X Men run, right? Uh, unless I get uh, dragged back in um, at a later date, um, against the wishes of everybody that has you know seen me off. Yeah, I think so. I think so. If, if they tell you it's just one last issue or one last mission, don't listen to them. That's always how the character dies. Well, I, I feel like I'm going to get a call from Kieran or something like that. Jonathan, I've, I've teed you up. <laughs> but you were just one day till retirement. But, yeah, this, uh, this issue was, was fascinating to me. The way it wrapped up was definitely not how I expected it to especially with the revelations of just what and we should say again listeners if you haven't read inferno number four read it first and then come back for real also Uh, one through three again we're going to talk about the whole series this is going to be the end of the spoiler warnings everything from here on is just going to be spoilers all spoilers for all kinds of different media we're going to you know spoil the big twist in every movie it's just going to be inferno (laughs) okay fine um but the revelation of how the the Omega Sentinel, Karima, and Nimrod factor into the timeline, that makes Orcus and the various scientists, that, that, that adds a lot of context to things going all the way back to House and Powers. I did put that uh, the original Nimrod is Nimrod the Lesser ends up being Nimrod the Lesser in the, in the, in the data pages, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been holding on to that Nimrod and Omega Sentinel stuff for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the cool thing is that they told everybody exactly what they were, but now nobody knows what they were because everybody died, you know. Um, and, so, and so the only people who know what they're up to and what they're really about are the readers, which is always a really, really fun place to put the reader, you know. Um, when they know something the characters don't, it's a, it's a good way to inject dread into the story, so. And that's, that's a good word for it. I mean, that's something that I think all of the different lives of Moira really gets across. Like, that it makes sense why she would do the things she does to an extent, just because she, she knows what the consequences are going to be if this stuff doesn't work. Speaking of Moira, I've got a horrible continuity question. Okay, sure. So... Mora's powers have been stripped away. She's functionally human now. If she were to die as human, would she be revivable as a mutant via the resurrection protocols? Because presumably she exists within Cerebro, although they didn't expect to, for it to be possible to revive her. Like, has this created a paradigm where she can actually be brought back? Well, 
Uh, there's a very interesting uh, 10 Lives and 10 Deaths of Wolverine book that's going to uh, pick up right where this left off. Uh, people should check that out. There will be some Moira stuff in there that is very important. Um, I think that you can infer that um, there are a lot of very, very smart people on the island with, uh, you know, uh, excellent problem-solving abilities. Someone, if they wanted to, could figure out a way to bring Moira back um, and... Um, and like they could they could grab her yes there's a way that you could bring Moira back the question is what would happen if you brought her back right um and i think all of this sounds like amazing stories and i think uh grist for the mill and we'll see if the guys pick up pick up certain things and run with them um i i told you guys in the other one i know what they're doing for the next three years and um you're uh, you're gonna love it. It's uh, it's amazingly cool stuff, and um, I don't think we should should talk more about um, about Moira, unless <laughs> unless unless you have more more questions, which the answer would be uh, read and find out probably. So fair. Uh, Moira has just become like the biggest continuity tease in in comics over the last few years, and I'm happy that she's going to continue to uh, do so. Has she replaced Cable as as the largest X Men continuity black hole? Oh, I'm I'm trying to think of like of like the volume of cold open I could get out of this. Oh, jeez. And I think I think I think, in, I think in scope she may have, but in in, in details, not yet. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it depends on how, um, I mean, the thing about Cable is he's a really cool character and people who started writing Cable in the years that followed his introduction added to the mythology, right? And, and so uh, in adding to the mythology, sometimes people pay very close attention to what works and sometimes people are just telling a story, right? And uh, obviously that causes continuity confusion. That's okay. We're professionals. We can deal with that. Um, I mean, that's what keeps us employed. Sure. <laughs> um, and, but, but, you know, so you've got a lot of amazing cable stuff that implies other stuff. And um, if this is successful, if House of X if the Krakoa era continues to be written about, if it doesn't get zeroed out, then obviously there's an opportunity to tell more and more and more stories and, and it will develop its own continuity density and um, clear layers of strata. And um, of course, Moira has the possibility to do, uh, to, to be um, a vast repository of amazing stories. Um, the question is, is will they get told? Will people want to tell them? Uh, you don't get to dictate this stuff. You know, you write the book and people either liked your stuff and they want to write about it or they uh, liked your stuff and they want to destroy it like Jason Aaron, that motherfucker. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I love him so much. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, this is, this, is the, this is the shared universe. This is, the, this is how the job works, you know. Do you, ma- you don't get to say whether your stuff matters or not. The next guy does, which is really interesting. Um. 
that actually reminds me of my one of my favorite lines from Inferno number four, uh, which was such a, a a delightful little reference of the Omega Sentinel turning to Magneto and telling him, "We're the future, not you." That callback to that 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 was the first X Men movie, right? Right yeah. there. Ah, uh, yeah. Just the such the a future, Charles, not yeah. Omega Sentinel has uh, three or four button lines in that whole little little section. Um, um, did you th- just think we were going to sit around, and stand around, and take it, or sit around and take it, or or whatever? Which is a callback to House of X number one, and mm-hmm. um, you know clearly it's kicking off. Um, you thought this was a two sided game, but it's not, right? That whole aspect of it. Um, Great character, great character. I don't know if people are going to dig what we did with 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 her, um, but um, it feels like we added a lot of stuff that could be mined, and there are a lot of stories that could be told with the character, which is, um, I, I think, is good caretaking. Um, I, and, and we live in a really interesting time in that everybody's angry at everybody right now. <laughs> everybody wants to do, every, everybody has violent thoughts and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, we're all a little traumatized. Uh, and so, uh, what is and is not, uh, doing right by the character is a really hotly debated thing inside of comics. Right. And so, um, I think you have to take that part of the job seriously, and I think you have to try and do as good of a job as you can. As a general rule, I try to put the toys back on the on the shelf. In this instance, obviously, I couldn't. But sometimes you add enough stuff to a character where it changes the character for the good. And I think if that's the intent that you're trying to do, if you're not trying to be clever, if you're not trying to be... Uh, or make your mark, or just mark your territory, or all that kind of stuff. If you're really trying to improve the character or make the character more interesting, you're usually going to come out okay. And I think I think the Omega Sentinel stuff is is going to be that way. I know the Nimrod stuff certainly is. So I'm really lo- really looking forward to going into. We're we're about to hit Operation Zero Tolerance in our our historical coverage. Oh, cool, cool. Going into that with with the the new context that this brings. mm Hmm. And yeah, just tying it in, I mean, talking about crossovers and to stay on the Omega Sentinel topic, I mean, the fact that I think one of those button lines you mentioned, she mentions her days of a future past. Sure. Turning that around on its head to have that be like the nightmare scenario for machines, not for the people being oppressed by the machines. Like, we're just bringing in so many terrible dystopian apocalypses. They're, we're just piling them on. It's lovely. Well, I mean, that's that's an interesting little little twist that she did there because it also affirms that Moira and Charles and Magneto were on the right path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were on the right path. If they just stay on the path, they win. But, you know, um, you know, they, uh, they can't help but still be a little human, you know? So what's X-Men without bad decisions leading to terrible outcomes. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, talking about Nimrod as well, I do, I do love him in this role, and I love that, like, you know, in a way he symbolizes everything that the X Men are are now fighting against. Like, I remember when he showed up back in the the eighties, was it? I want to say like the, yeah. Nimrod the uh, the lesser, I guess, at this point, and 
was just this unstoppable force, this entity that was originally supposed to be Alan Moore's fury, I think. Well, he was this unstoppable force, but he was also a sentinel with ostensibly noble intentions. And that was something that really differentiated him, you know, in, in, in his in his early appearances and, and especially as he continued to develop. Because, you know, all of the other sentinels we'd seen were were extremely rudimentary machines. Like they they went around going, mutant identified, kill protocol, mutant identified, right. capture protocol. Right. Um and, and being large and purple and didn't do a lot other than that. And he thought and he had this obvious and really profound affinity for humanity. Yeah, I mean, that he we hadn't seen before. Yeah, I mean, he play acted as a human. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was like, um, and that that original John Romita Jr. design, the first time you saw him, it was just so good, so good. Um, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic character. I think it's, um, I think that character is an example of under the weight of continuity, and and that character not ever reaching their um the end of the line of the character right the 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 ultimate version of it you had to break it and then you break it in and it becomes different pieces and it becomes bastion and all all of that kind of stuff like like it it's like there's two ways that characters change when they've got 20 and 30 years of of uh, people, people grinding on them, and it's they either get broken down or they either get built up. And so, um, I, I thought there was a real big opportunity there to to make Nimrod um, as amazing as he was when he first showed up. You know, uh, um, mine, that, mine is mine is mockingly feigning humanity, of course, but you know, he's cruel that way. So, yup. Yeah, just just that level of that level of impact, very much so. And like, so you know, we still have we still have Orcus, obviously, we mm-hmm. which I guess has now been, if I'm understanding this correctly, kind of manipulated into existence by the time traveling Omega Sentinel, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they created Orcus, um, and um, whether or not that turns out to be a bad mistake by the machines or whether that turns out to be um uh just the prelude to machine state you'll have to wait and see but um but there's a lot of there's a lot of 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 really really good stuff there that's that's you know you're gonna see in pretty soon in in jerry's x-men book so um you know i i i love those um I love the idea of Alia Gregor and what happened to her fueling her in, into becoming like a very, very important villain. You know, she has, she has legitimate beef, right? She has, she has legitimate double beef, which is, which is, um, which is very relatable. So <laughs> legit. Yeah. Just getting to see like her, her kind of villain origin story has been phenomenal. So and we like, had. I'm actually gonna want to pull in a listener question right here. Um, from from um, Apple J, who asked, "What role Rogue would have played in Inferno if she hadn't gotten cut due to time constraints?" Well, space. You know, obviously, we only had so many pages, and yeah. um, let's say comic space is time. Yeah, and so clearly, um, clearly, we weren't going to cut anything from the fourth and third issues because of what was building there. Um, Rogue was going to. I mean, clearly. 
uh, Rogue is super important in the Mystique uh, Destiny, uh, you know, paradigm. And we were going to have, I, I, I keep saying we, like I'm passing the buck. Um, I was going to have her be the person who uh, stole, she would have stolen Emma's powers and she would have brought, um, she would have brought um, Destiny back. Like she would have been the one who injected, their, used the Cerebro to inject um, um, Destiny's mind back into her body. Um, but the problem with it was, was that if I did that, I would have needed a lot more real estate to do the, all the Emma pieces that we needed. Um, and, and it just, it didn't work. I, I, I wrote a version of it and it was so cool. So cool. But, um, um, I didn't have the space to do the other things that I had to do. And so a darling had to die. It sucked. It sucked because I, I don't, I don't think I got to write rogue the entire time. Outside of a couple of panels in in House and Powers, I don't I don't think I got to. Did oh, I? Right, yeah, because she was well, she was over in Excalibur mostly. Um, for I think all of Dawn and I don't and think Rainbow I did. In, did I in Ten of Swords? I don't remember. Um, but in, anyway, I mean, I, I there are a lot of X characters that I didn't get to write any of that I really really wanted to. Um, but. There's a lot of them. That's bound to happen. So, so many. They, they just keep making more. Yeah. <laughs> One so. I was very, very excited to see take center stage in the final issue of um, Inferno was one of one of my favorite X characters, um, Cypher. Sure. Sure. One of my favorite characters. Um, um, yeah, I mean, all of that, clearly I had that whole bit uh, percolating in the background since... Um, you know, house and powers because we had him drop him off on the island and build everything, right? And, um, you know, he was always going to be, you know, the, I, I hinted at Warlock and Krakoa being uh, a, a unified thing in that, in the future of Powers of Ten, but, um, you know, D Doug, Doug was um, very heavy in my first draft of, um, uh, my first document, my pitch, my first Bible that I wrote, uh, where the character was going to go and, and what he was going to do and how important language was for this whole thing. And, um, being the only guy that can talk to the promised land was, uh, you know, um, a pretty big deal. Um, and everybody, I've always, I've always loved that character since, well, I've always loved that character, but I think it was, actually, I know it was, it was in those Asgard annuals yes, that Art yes. Adams drew whenever Ileana was able to become, um, you know, the, as powerful as she was because Doug could read the spell books for her, you know? Yeah. And, I was, and I was always, like, thinking about how... Um, one, I love that he was innocent and, and vulnerable and they all looked out for him, but he really had the ability to know more than any of them, right? Like, like it's like a, just a, there was just so much there. And then when he died in Fall of the Mutants, I was so angry that they did that to the 
weakest character, it seemed wrong, right? It seemed like the least dramatic way to go, right? Like it would, I'm going to rewrite, you know, 30-year-old X-Men books here, but <laughs> it would have been better if he would have tried to save somebody and he couldn't and somebody else died because he wasn't able to do that, which would then lead him into doing more and more and more with Warlock and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's, it's comic books and he had to come back. But he always had a really, really big, important arc um, in, in all of this um, from, the, from the inception. Um, I love that character. Um, it's a fantastic character. Um, Oh yeah, and I I love how like we have this all these conflicting motivations in Inferno. We have people doing all sorts of different fucked up things in all sorts of different fucked up directions, and we have Doug who, over his I guess lifetimes plural at this point, um, has gotten to a point where he's confident enough to say like no 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 this is how we're doing this. I have prepared for this moment, and this is how it's going to go. Like just to see that quiet confidence that that moral surety come from him was just so powerful after the character you know hasn't really gotten nearly enough chance to shine over the years um i make fun of people for having headcanon right because i'm a professional (laughs) but uh you know mine has always been that the new mutants became the x-men like they they that actually happened right and so when i look at those characters i see like, I don't see kids anymore, right? I, 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 we write them that way because of the way that they're kind of stuck in continuity, right? But I always think about what those characters would be like when the story continues in five years from now when they take over, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's always building those characters toward being the ultimate versions that will become the X-Men. Um, and I'm like that for all of all of those New Mutants characters, and I feel that way about the Generation X kids too. Less so because they've they've had the more stunted growth, but I always like I always look at these characters as, uh, especially those two sets, as eventually becoming the most important mutants on the planet. And what does that look like? How do how do they learn? Like when you write those books. They screw up a lot because they're learning, right? But what's yeah, the version kids. look like when they're wise, right? Or when they're experienced? Like, how good are they? And I, I, love, I love writing them that way. Um, so, anyway, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to miss, I'm gonna miss uh, writing those characters in particular. 